Everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon, and with me, <laughs> I haven't had to say two names for about a month, and I've said it maybe once in about two months. <laughs> with me today, I just have Woody. Woody, how are you, mate? Welcome back. Thanks, Damo. Thank you so much. Uh, great to be back. I, I can say I definitely missed the podcast while I was away. It's surprising when, when we've been doing it for almost four months now, how much you miss it, even over three episodes. Like, you miss it for three episodes. Yeah. Um, Even when Sam and I were talking quite a bit of smack about you. You talked a lot of smack about me. And I feel as if you were intentionally <laughs> leaving me on scene in yeah. our group chat as well, just so you could talk smack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was interesting listening to it. Don't get me wrong, but I definitely missed being behind the microphone. It was a different different vibe listening to it um, as just a viewer. Was it like stressful? Because I, I sometimes found that when I would listen to you and Sam, mm. it'd be like, you know, Obviously, going into every episode we you know, do, we have an idea of what we want to talk about and like what really what the points we really want to hit on the head perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then so I always found that even when I wasn't involved in an episode, I still would think like, oh, if I was doing the podcast this week, I'd want to talk about this. So did you have that sort of idea where oh, yeah. you wanted I mean, us to hit criteria? <laughs> I think there were definitely points where I listened to you guys and I think, okay, this would be perfect for, for me to say what I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe you guys would go off on a tangent and the, and the conversation wouldn't go the way that I would plan it in my head and the way it would sort of come to me. But that's also, it was exciting to listen to as well because... Yeah. You don't get the um, scripted version almost. Yeah, and it's a different dynamic to having... It's it's always... Like, us is a different dynamic to having Sam here as well. And then yeah, Sam yeah. and I, and then just you and Sam. It's 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 different like because we all have... Like, we're obviously three best mates, but the way we interact with each other is different personally the way we interact all yeah, together. Yeah, spot on, spot so, on, spot on. I mean, that, it's, it's really interesting to listen to. Don't get me wrong. Well, steering away from the podcast, but keeping on your trip, how, how was it? Did Obviously, you went to Tottenham, Liverpool, which we just... I did, I did. I had heaps of fun. And I think the plan was originally actually to go to um, Palace versus Arsenal on the same day, which I'm pretty sure was a one-all draw. Yeah, Aubameyang got sent off in that one. That's exactly. Like, yeah. And that was a pretty dramatic match. Um, but then we figured out because Selhurst Park is like South London, Tottenham is obviously very far North London. Yeah. The time to get to each game probably would have been a little bit too long. We would have, wouldn't have been able to suck in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So we made a day, a day of going to Tottenham. Um, and it, don't get me like the Tottenham stadium is next level. Yeah. It is so good. It is so good. The I'm very atmos- jealous. The atmosphere at the game was crazy and especially playing Liverpool having the Liverpool supporters sitting in um, their away section was they were so vibrant so loud and they 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 were ruthless with some of the chants they were saying as, well, <laughs> as, as you can probably imagine but the Tottenham Stadium like the way the way it's been built and I guess not just the the stadium but also the precinct is just amazing something that you don't see here in Melbourne like sure we've got the um you know Olympic Boulevard but that just doesn't compare this, the, just and it's just looking up and seeing the tot, the gold Tottenham idol at the top of the stadium as yeah, well. Yeah, it's it's like a thing of beauty, honestly. And they yeah. shine it up during the game. So it's a religion. It's, it, it is a religion. It was yeah. a re- and we. It was funny because I was sitting probably rambling on rambling on a little bit here, no, but right. in front of us was a guy from Wales. Yeah, who spent three and a half hours to get to each Tottenham game. Had been doing Far it for twelve out. years. To the left, to the right of me was a guy from. LA, who was a Tottenham supporter, 
who came over and was doing a Europe trip. So he just went to the San Siro, went and saw the Milan derby. Yep. Um, went to see a Napoli game as well. Um, Napoli, that's the way he said it. <laughs> <laughs> but a guy was... So the um, uh, American guy next to me and behind me was two two Tottenham guys. So I sort of had everything. And dad's my left. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Like you, you go there and you just see such a mix it's, of things. It's definitely a reflection of modern modern football and modern Premier League these definitely. days. Obviously, everyone has their opinion on you know, the tourist factor and the money that it brings into the game and whether it's, you know, good or bad for the quality and good or bad for the atmosphere. But yeah, I mean, that just pretty much sums up like what we're doing right here. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there are American podcasts the about glo- the Premier it is League. The, it's the global game. It is. It is. And so, yeah, it's a perfect reflection, Woody, of, you know, the current situation of the world game. Obviously, a lot has happened since you got back. We've had, mm. you know, a whole round go by which is about a week ago now which we're going to be touching on a little bit today Mm -hmm. of course the fa cup where a few teams bounce back from disappointing results and vice versa the other way around so yeah like obviously woody something even bigger happened during the week and i know you wanted to touch on that yeah definitely it was the passing of uh kobe bryant and his and his daughter Gigi uh in a helicopter crash tragic just outside of la unfortunately that day we lost probably one of the most iconic sporting figures of the last decade i I, I couldn't agree more and i think it it goes without saying he was bigger than basketball Mm -hmm. his reach was well beyond the nba and i think as as a we're both huge celtics fans damon so we saw the rivalry between celtics and lakers in 2009 2010 2011 Mm -hmm. and kobe did say that um him winning over the Celtics in 2010 was his greatest victory because of the the rivalry that had gone on, and we were so lucky to grow up and see him on our televisions. Yeah, well, I, I probably, as a Celtics fan, you're probably a little bit bigger than than me, Woody, in the NBA. But I just remember, you know, even when I didn't really uh, get into the NBA too much in my young, you know, when I was really young, and as you said, Woody, I only started getting really interested in it in those 2008, 9, 10, 11 years. It was probably. Uh, it was you know, everybody knew who Kobe Bryant was mm. when he would be throwing a piece of paper in the classroom into the into the bin, yelling it, Kobe. Everybody said Kobe. It was just like you, I don't think even like Messi has that pulling that that. What can you help me out I here? Think it was ability to capture people's hearts. Yeah, I think yeah, like Messi's probably you know, arguably more well known, but it's it's more about the you know what Kobe did, mm. and I, I completely agree with you and. I can't. I can't think of another athlete who's had more influence. Oh, it's it's hard to put into words, but I think it was just something that I really we both wanted to touch on a little yeah. bit as well because we couldn't sit here and talk about sport without mentioning it. There's exactly, and no it, way. it was it wasn't a loss to the NBA alone. It was a loss to the sporting world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very sad. I mean, and, and and it was very sad as well, considering there were I think um, all the everyone else that was on the crash as well it wasn't just Kobe and his daughter. Um, there are numerous people involved in the crash that passed away. Yeah. Very tragic. But I think Damo, we need to kick into gear a bit because like we've had we've had a massive, massive week. Um yeah. especially with the FA Cup coming in. Um like it's been it's been a huge mix and not just Premier League action as well. Yeah, I think Woody, I'd ask you do the, to do the quick fire results. Do you want to do the quick fire results for the Premier League? But I think we're gonna be talking about a lot more than that on this particular episode. So, you know, for now, hit us with those quick fire results. To kick off the round, 
Bournemouth down Brighton 3-1. Aston Villa beat Watford 2-1. Southampton beat Crystal Palace 2-0. City down the Mighty Blades 1-0. Everton drew with Newcastle. What was a thriller to all. Arsenal versus Chelsea didn't fail to disappoint. It was a 2-0 draw. Leicester hammered West Ham 4-1. Tottenham beat Norwich 2-1. Burnley down United 2-0. And to cap off the round, Liverpool beat Wolves 2-1. I just find it, find it quite funny that you couldn't help it. Put a little bit of a giggle on that 2-0 scoreline at Old Trafford. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> it's, pro- yeah, like, I mean, these games like a week ago, but I, I think we'll just get stuck straight into probably the, the game of the that round, and yep. that was uh, Chelsea versus Arsenal. Looks up towards goal! Yes! Yes! An unlikely goal scorer, Hector Bellerin, scores, and it's 2-2! All right, Woody, this one was bizarre. It was crazy. I mean, the, the game was at about 7 a.m. Melbourne, Australia time. So, you know, we're having our bacon and eggs, all that sort of stuff, watching watching this one. And for the most part, you just figured that Chelsea would get the job done. Even when it was, well, obviously it was nil-nil at the start. And I, I think Chelsea would have start, started better. Obviously, Mustafi, a horrific back pass, and then David Luiz being David Luiz, which I know you have some very <laughs> strong opinions on, so I'll ask you that in a second. But for the most part, it was just one of those games where, I'm still not really sure how Chelsea didn't win. I, I think it was it, it was a tale of who was like I, I'm speechless because I was watching the game and I was I was messaging you, Sam and yourself, but I was actually overseas at the time. Yep. watching the game with my dad, and like we just couldn't believe what we were seeing. It, it was it was deceptive how bad the game was. Mm-hmm. I think because looking, I just I was looking at the um, the lineups when they came out, and you just see Mustafi and Louise, and your eyes burn through the team sheet. You're like. Ah, could it happen again? And it happened. It happened straight away within 26 minutes, actually. And <laughs> the, the, the the thing is, like every you know, there's stereotypically defenders. You know, look at Lovren from Liverpool. Like they always have these types of defenders have their moments, such as da- like David Luiz and Mustafi can. But you know, these guys they just tend to, you know, their moments are so much more catastrophic than than other defenders. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. I know exactly what you mean, and. I, I, I said this to my dad as well after the game. If I was to start a circus, Mustafi and Louise would be the main act every single time. And it'd be a bloody sellout. <laughs> as, as tragic as it is to see them play on the pitch and how like their stupid moments dictate a game, it's so entertaining to watch because you just think, how the hell are these guys professional football players? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, was, all right, well, I think you're being a little bit harsh. I'm not, I actually think David Luiz hasn't been too bad for Arsenal. Well, he technically kept a clean sheet in his 26 minutes <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> that is true. But, no, I just, you know, all right, yes, he's conceded three penalties in the Premier League, more than any other player in the league. He, he, he's always going to bring those moments to you. And I think Arsenal knew what they were signing when they picked up David Luiz. But I think I do have to pose a question to you, and mm-hmm. that is, could the red card have been avoided? <sighs> Oh, look, uh, yes, I think absolutely, like absolutely, could have been avoided. And the reason why I sort of hesitate is because could David Louise avoid it? No, but any other defender probably. That's the thing. I'll I'll give you a sentence here, Woody, and you tell me if you can work with it. Okay, I would say that Mustafi made a massive, massive mistake. Yeah, but David Louise just made it worse than it than it had to be. You know what I mean? Like, he, he literally, <laughs> yeah. like, 
he almost he had no composure about him. Yeah, no, no, at all. And I think um, he one for one, technically, he should have narrowed his channel so Abraham didn't have the space to skip past Kepper so easily. Ah, uh, you mean um, sorry, Leno, um, Leno, so easily. My bad. But then looking at the challenge itself, if an elite defender should be able to compute that if he just barrels into Abraham's legs, yelling "Hasta la vista, baby," and <laughs> Like he surely he knows that it'll be a red card and he'll go off. Yeah. Like, and the, the thing that got me though was like, you know, the change of rule with the red card. Mm. It, we if he's making a genuine attempt for the ball, then the referee can give a yellow instead yep. of a red. But I just thought it was bizarre the way he approached the tackle. He literally just gra- he just grabbed him, and he, took him down. He just. Sprinted into him. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's no other way to say it. He just literally ran. The challenge was through. genuinely more upper body than. <laughs> yeah. it was bizarre. It was seriously bizarre. Ridiculous to see. I could not believe it. And that's the thing. As soon as it happened, Louise turned around and pointed at Mustafi as if to say, "There's a defender behind me. It's not last man." And it's like, well, that's sort of not how it works because you pass the keeper. But also, it's like, mate, yeah, you might have had a point if you didn't just almost spear tackle the blow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was it was something you see in a WWE ring. Honestly, it was just so weird to see. Uh, and and uh, probably fair to say, Arsenal played better with ten men than they did with eleven in the first twenty six minutes. I think that's probably a fair yeah. assessment of wh- where they're at. Actually, well, we saw after that though Martinelli score on the break, and we mm-hmm. obviously Martinelli's probably had a breakout season. You know, we've seen some comparisons already to some of the other young guns in the league. Um, one one person I really want to ask you about, Woody, because it was someone I didn't actually, you know, for, for my own team's benefit, I needed Chelsea not to win. Yeah. So I didn't want to moz anything. But I was really tempted, obviously we've got some mates that are Chelsea fans, and I was really tempted to call out a bloke who I thought, I know he's come back from injury, but I was re- I'm just overall haven't seen anything to understand the hype. And that's Callum Hudson-Odoi. Oh. I would Martinelli's come on in the last few months, and I would say achieved more than Callum Hudson Odoi has done in you know his time so oh, far. Not e- not even a question. I think the game was deceptive as well because I said earlier that you know this Chelsea Arsenal game was deceptive about how bad it is. And I think the same reflects to Hudson Odoi's game. Like the stats tell a different story to the, the way it was, mm-hmm. and I, I see a lot of pundits saying that Hudson Odoi looked lively. He's not paid to look lively. He's paid to create. I think he scored one Premier League goal ever, and that was to top off a 3-0 win at uh, home to Burnley. I mean, he got the assist, but that was lucky because Arsenal was so bad at defending. Yeah. That's the thing. He had 87% passing accuracy, 12 crosses, two-shot assists. He had the assist for Aspie's goal and one big chance created. Now, that usually paints a picture of a good game. But for me... 12 crosses, I'd... you know, what he was doing was fluff. Yeah. He sits there on the ring, wing and he does the the Neymar feints and whatever. And I understand he's a flashy player, but the end result was nowhere near as where it should be. Now, they had Xhaka and Mustafi playing centre-back. Mm-hmm. And at Bellerin, who's just come back into the team. Now, they were vulnerable. Vulnerable is an understatement. Mm-hmm. Now, Hudson-Odoi is supposed to be playing for England. You cannot tell me that the stuff that he was put, the crosses he was putting in, no matter volume, they weren't quality. Yeah, they I, were not I, quality I, at I, all. I seriously tend to agree, and you know, as I said, I, I think there's younger players in the comp- uh, Hudson Odoi is still very, very young. Mm. But I just think when you look at the players around 
the same age as Hudson Odoi, especially considering the situation at Chelsea, where if there was ever a time for a, a young player such as him to get game time at a club like Chelsea, it's now. Yeah, you got to take the most of the opportunity. We saw, mm. I know we talked about Abraham and Mount all season, and I'd actually make a case that Mount's probably starting to really fatigue. Yeah, because he's I think Abraham's starting to fatigue as well. Both of them output has plummeted since maybe October, November. So I think that's a little bit, again, a little bit of concern for Chelsea because since they went on that little bit of a run, and people were even saying, I think they went to the Etihad, and although they lost, they dominated possession, which was just something we hadn't seen before in so long. But now it's starting to, you know, in the space of two months, Chelsea have gone from, you know, being the team that could push uh, Liverpool and Man City to honestly being a very fortunate fourth place. Very team. fortunate. And if it They're just lucky for, everyone else. If it crap. wasn't for the rabble that is fourth to 13th, then I think Chelsea would be out of it. And I think their time is also coming as well. But looking at, like, looking at Chelsea, they've had the opportunity to go and buy someone in this January transfer window. Now, the backup for Abraham is Batshuayi. Batshuayi blew the chance to win the game later on when That's, he came on. Yes. Okay. Now, he, he got on a, a, one of Hudson's Adoy's actually quality crosses. But the thing is, it begs the option, why haven't Chelsea gone out and signed someone? I know they link with Cavani. We posted it on the, the Instagram. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, like, Batshuayi is not an adequate, adequate backup. And Abraham is fatiguing. Yeah, That's you, the thing. You give these young kids a break. They need a break. Um, We'll wrap up with just one sort of question here, Woody. I know I, I like to do it. And Do you think Lampard, looking at his team now, he's said in the po- post-match that you know they didn't get what they needed out of the game and like it's very, very clear that they, they're struggling to score mm-hmm. uh, when, they're, when they need to. In you know, yep. the games against Bournemouth, Newcastle, uh, Southampton, they, they just, not only are they losing, but they're not scoring. Uh, but so much earlier in the year, it was their ability to score, which was fine, but it was their ability to defend. And now suddenly they've lost that ability to score, probably because of the situation with these younger players starting to fatigue. But would you, would you say the attack or defence needs work if you, were, if you were in charge of signings and you got to sign one player? I'm not going to ask who it is because you know, that's easy to just pick a strong defender or a strong attacker. But would you look at an attacker or would you look at a defender? Uh, attacker for me every day. Because mm-hmm. I've always run by the motto that... The best attack beats the best defense. Really? That's, that's the way I look at it. The best attack will always beat the best defense. Now, shoot me in the foot if I'm wrong. I understand people have different opinions, but for me, the best attackers in the world are better than the best defenders. Okay. That, that's for me. And so, for me, I think that looking at the last 20, 25 minutes of the game, Chelsea had the opportunity to, to put the game away. And if they had a proven striker that was ruthless in the box, that was had the ability to strikers strike what strikers do and just pop up where they need to pop up, they could have not only put two past Arsenal, they had opportunity to put four past Arsenal. Mm, and yeah. I think that's probably what they lack. So for me, attacker every day. Yeah, well, we saw both these teams struggle in the FA Cup over the weekend despite getting wins, a 2-1 win at Hull City for Chelsea and a 2-1 win this morning against Bournemouth uh, for Arsenal. So, you know, th- these teams, although they're getting through, it's just... Over and over again, not convincing mm. in the way they're playing. All right, Woody, are we happy to move on to winners and losers? Because you haven't heard this music, well, you know, live in the studio for like a month. You must be buzzing. I'm buzzing. I'm keen. I'm keen. All right, it is time for winners and losers. Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. Oh, 
<laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> Every time. All right. My winner of the week is a team we actually talk about a strange amount on this podcast. Too much. Yeah, I think it's because of Jack Grealish, but Aston, Vi- <laughs> Aston Villa are my winner, and it's, you know, goodness me, talk about a must-win. Watford hadn't lost in six previous Premier League games to this one. Uh, they went. Watford just then went ahead, but a last-minute winner from, you know, we'll say Tyrone Mings, although, Woody, did you see how this goal was scored? It was like I did. everyone thought, um, I, sorry, I can't remember the player's name at the moment, but turns off a little, little deflection of Tyrone Mings. Uh, got the 2-1 win in the 95th minute. So that was absolute scenes at Villa Park. And I've I've been doing some reading. I, I haven't actually had the chance to head to Villa Park, but people say, you know, if you're going to go to a stadium, you've got to go to uh, to Villa Park. So that's definitely on my bucket mm-hmm. list. And, you know, if you were there on that day, goodness me, 95th minute winner. But also worth noting that Tyron Mings probably should have been sent off for a second yellow card offence during that game. So again, a little bit of luck. You know, does that goal keep them up potentially who knows, who knows? They're, they're playing well they're on they're on a bit of a roll they are yep woody who's your winner my winner of the week is the saints southampton so unbelievably across all competitions now the saints have just lost one of their last nine which we didn't pick um i Unbelievable. think danny ings is uh definitely danny ings and ward prowse and those boys um shane long pr- proving the bits yeah they're 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 showing they're showing a bit of bit of class and a bit of promise as well um so their last their last loss came from um, their two 0 lead, um, where they, which they gave up to the Wolves. And can you believe now they sit ninth? I don't, I don't I honestly don't think that's a tale that we we would have thought would have been told. Um, and the two 0 win against Crystal Palace, quite the result. Palace have been pretty tough this season, very stubborn as well, and 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 they've got some quality players. So for me, Saints, you know, phew, they're not far away. They're not far away from uh, Europa. They're, they're not, and it's scary because that that again that fifth to thirteenth. It's a bit of a roll of the dice now in the next two rounds where it's going to shift. Yeah. That's the thing. It is. And you never know. Saints with a couple of fortunate goals and fortunate runs, they could be sitting right up in that top of that fifth to 13th bracket. Who knows? Who knows where they could be? Damo, cool. who is your loser of the week? My loser is the linesman at Bramall Lane. <laughs> now, I'm, you know, I've always taken an interest this season in VAR and just all-round refereeing decisions because I actually some I think one of the great things of sport is that referees get decisions wrong. You know, like I think it creates debate. It creates job opportunities for people <laughs> like you and me, to be honest. But the one at Bramall Lane was pretty, pretty horrendous and it was Dean Henderson's penalty save. Now, he saved six of his last 10 penalties that he's faced. That is phenomenal. Okay, like top, top goalkeepers go like one in 10, if that. Dean Henderson knows how to save a penalty, but the one on the week or last week was pretty dodgy. He w- he was in another postcode to the goal line. <laughs> he Gabriel Jesus ran, and I reckon Henderson was about to like nose dive, like like just leaned forward, tried to stay on the line as long as possible, but it wasn't even close. He literally took two steps forward, then Jesus shot. He saved it, but then not only that, Henderson got up and picked up the deflection off himself. So it's like, you know. That definitely sh- the linesman has one job in that situation. It's just to watch the goalkeeper and make sure he doesn't come off his line. What was he watching? And I looked it up. VAR don't have any power in overturning that. They really? only have the power to turn o- turn over the player running into the box, which has been picked up a few times this season. What? It's not consistent. It's bizarre. Seriously bizarre. But so honestly, VAR is a bit of a loser here if as they, well. If they clamp down on that, I would be. I would be probably gobsmacked about how many keepers would get penalties recalled. Oh. I think 
I think it's a pretty loose rule. It is. I think they need, you know, my biggest thing is always be consistent. Yeah. If they're going to pin every keeper for it, that's fine. But, you know, Dean Henderson got away with one there and the Lions was probably lucky that City ended up winning the game because if that, and well, not that City have too much to play for in the league because you'd have to say they're summed up top four nicely but aren't going to win the league. But still, you'd, you know, it's lucky that City won for that linesman's sake. Mm. Woody, who is your loser? Bit of a weird one. I've gone for uh, probably one of the best centre-backs in the league in Joel Matip as my loser this week. And, and it's a bit of a funny one because I think his injury earlier in the season allowed Joe Gomez to now become what is England's best defender. the best, Sorry, the best English Whoa. defender, I should say. And that, so I know a it's a cl- big... little clip at someone else, but anyway, <laughs> move on. Um. <laughs> I tell you what, the one thing about the one thing good about Joe Gomez is definitely not taunting, uh, taunting after a six nil uh, through a six nil win, and uh, <laughs> he, he's not he's not he's not getting the head of a league to a team. That's for sure. Like I don't know, I don't know anyone else that does that. But <laughs> um, anyway, with, with Matt with uh, Gomez's current form, I think it's pretty hard for Matip to find his way back in the team. Joe Gomez just keeps putting together elite performances, and I was lucky enough to see him in the Tottenham Liverpool game, and I know. I haven't touched on it that much, but Van Dyke, in terms of stature in game, is just next level. You've like, seen the man live. He's, he's six. He sits at seventeen foot nine in height, <laughs> and he's just an absolute behemoth on the pitch. But Joe Gomez is slick and as classy as they come as a centre back. And um, yeah, look by the by the numbers, Gomez had an absolute game and a half against against Wolves. Hundred percent tackles, one eighty seven percent pass accuracy. Could go on for days. Um, three interceptions, but he was just next level. And I just can't see how Matip, who is now probably one of the top five centre backs in the league, is going to make it back into that Liverpool side unless it's in a cup game or un- unless it's someone gets injured. I think it's just the beauty of this Liverpool team, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like Richard Bayless said, they got four world-class centre backs now. And just on that, it's probably worth mentioning that Klopp this week has said that due to them having to play a replay of the FA Cup game... They will not be sending any of or any, not be playing any of their senior team, and he, and Klopp won't even be managing it because they've got their winter break for a week, and they and the FA want them to play <laughs> the game during that. So you know, like it's funny how Klopp, how stubborn Klopp's been about it. You, know, you literally just said Woody that they've got four unbelievable centre backs, but he's not willing to risk any of them for you. Why, know, why would you? Yeah, they're I mean, competing in the Champions League and the league. Damning assessment of the <clears throat> FA Cup, though, from from Jurgen, and which I don't think it sends the right. It doesn't, but yeah, you know, everyone's got got an opinion. But to be honest, I actually I actually don't really mind how it is right now. But I, that's just me. Team, team first. Sorry, I just smashed the table accident with my hand. <laughs> yeah. No, Re- really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, team first play, and I think he knows the value of his players and doesn't want to jeopardize that. Yeah, fair enough. Can't argue with that. All right, Woody. Now let's move on to. We'll do a quick little assessment of this one because Woody, you were like, "Oh, Damo, do you want to attack the, the FA Cup or do you want to attack the Premier League?" And I was like, "I don't really mind, but we've got to talk about this one." All right. <laughs> so we're gonna get stuck into Everton versus Newcastle. All eyes on the referee, Richie, towards the right. Defenders in the box, controlled by Fernandez, played across. Chance here for Newcastle, and another, and it's saved on the line. Have they got it in? They can't scramble it in. It, it's gone in. It's an equaliser. The referee has looked at his watch, and from absolutely nowhere, Newcastle United have scored two goals deep into added on time. It is an incredible late, late show at Goodison Park. Honestly, Everton Football Club are something else. They really <laughs> are something else. 
here in Australia, we aren't gifted with many, many, many Everton fans, but, you know, why would you want to be? Oh, oh. my God. They put their fans through absolute torture, and they did it yet again last week. I haven't talked to my, my, my girlfriend's dad was born... Um, as a massive evidence supporter and did the away days and, and went growing up and did the European um, competitions and whatnot. And I haven't talked to him about this game yet. And I'm a bit scared to, because I think he might punch me in the face. If, if I do. Honestly, I, it just, it's, it's bizarre that this keeps happening. I think they, they stuffed it against Brighton. They've lost to Norwich, Villa and Bournemouth. And then they stuffed this one up on the weekend yeah, they're on 30 points. They're only four points behind fifth. <laughs> could you imagine where they could be if they actually had any cojones? Mate, can you imagine if any of these teams sitting 4th to 13th had any cojones, mate? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, a, a guy who did um, probably have his best game mm. is a guy who had nine touches of the ball. <laughs> I've never seen a better nine-touch display in my life. I think Javier Hernandez... Chicharito, who Erling, comes to mind. Erling Haaland? <laughs> All right, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Can't argue with that. But Moyes Keane, he's finally put one in the back of the net for the Toffees. He had, as I said, just nine touches, but he went 100% passing accuracy, created a heap of chances, three shots on target, and obviously a goal. He, he killed that, and you could tell he's enjoying his football again. Ancelotti's got, he, got him you know, a little bit more switched on. The English game's still a test for him. But I think that what, you know, maybe a month ago, it looked very likely that he was on his way out this January. Now it looks like, you know, Everton fans are going to get to see him for at least another six months, see what he can do. Well, I think he's thriving in a 4-4-2 because he has the partnership. Sole striker, he's not strong as a stri- sole striker. Yeah, you think back at Juventus, when he came on as a sub, quite often he had Dybala, Ronaldo, yeah. these players around him. Yeah, it's he a bit was different. Sur- he was surrounded by attacking prominence. Yeah. I think that's what he needs. He needs someone to almost be his foil. Maybe he can be the foil. So I think it plays into his game to have a partner up there. But then looking, I guess, another line back is, is evidence midfield. And it's interesting. It's that We pose a few questions because we see them switch to a 4-4-2, which is a lot different for the way... It's Everton of old. Yeah, Marco Silva style was not a 4-4-2. That's for no, sure. it wasn't. And that's def- it's definitely definitely true in saying that, Damo. And, and the thing is, you look at Ancelotti and the way he's played with... He's, he's had the best players in the world play under him. At Real Madrid, at Napoli, at all these teams. And, and he's probably coming... He's, he's showing promise with this Everton team. Is he starting to experiment now with the team selection? Yeah, I think Everton's recent run of form pretty much now there's absolutely... You know, unless they somehow fall off a cliff here, they're not, they'll stay up. And I think that was a serious concern for Everton fans at one point. But now that they've got a little bit of breathing space, we've seen Holgate, Davies, Schneiderlin, Delph, Sigurdsson all playing that midfield too. I think their last three games, Davies has played twice, Holgate once, Schneiderlin once, Delph twice. Like they've really changed it up. Uh, when they played City about a month ago, all four of them played and they didn't play with wingers. So, you know, I think Ancelotti honestly doesn't know which ones he's going to stick with. You'd probably have to say Sigurdsson's the one that's dropped in form because of what we know he can deliver. Delph obviously has the experience at a top club like Man City. Uh, Davies is, is, well, was young, but he probably hasn't got as much game time as he would have liked over the last 12 to 24 months. Schneidlin played for Man United. So all these guys are about, you know, 70% 
good players. Do, do you know what, yeah, get what yeah, I'm getting I at? I understand. Like, they're not average, but they're not elite. Yeah, and so yeah. I think Ancelotti's really trying to figure it out. I mean, up until two two months ago, we'd never seen Holgate play in midfield before. He's actually quite a good defensive midfielder. So, you know, Ancelotti's still trying to figure it out. I'd say sure. in, Captain Hindsight's a, a fickle thing, but I think one player that Everton would love to have now that they're playing a 4-4-2 would be Adrisa Gay. And yeah. he would really thrive in this four four two system, I reckon. It'd be reminiscent of a Kante at Leicester when they were playing the four four two. Exactly. Exactly the With same. Drink water behind him. Yeah. I think someone like a Davies next to Adresa Gay would be. It would allow Davies to do uh, really uh, yeah, flourish. Exactly, and I'd even say Sigurdsson would improve because when you have someone like Gay. It allows, especially when, maybe not when Everton are coming up against one of the big, big teams, but, you know, when they're playing a Norwich at home, instead of losing 2-0, you can play a Gay and a Sigurdsson and have way more attacking threats. You know, obviously, Richarlison's probably exactly. the only player this season who's been consistent for Everton. Yeah. So, you know, it just allows a little bit more flexibility in their play. So, yeah, you're right, Woody. They I mean, definitely would benefit from someone like that in their team. Yeah, I mean, like we say, like, Captain Hindsight is, is a... Is a a beautiful man um, <laughs> and we all love to have it but it is what it is and I guess they can only do with um, what they've got at the moment um, but looking at that as well Everton you know have conceded seven goals in in the 90th minute onwards in the Premier League this season that is that is fucked I guess that is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous yeah it is and that's the thing that's four more than any other team because we league. can talk about how much they how much they rotate players the players in their squad or whatever and there's only, I think there's only so much class gets you. It's it, Damon, like you said before, the cojones. It is honestly the, the bite to play, not just ninety minutes, but ninety four minutes. Yeah, I mean, the, once fair enough, twice fair enough, even three times fair enough. But to do it seven times, They're head and shoulders above the league in this see. department, it's ridiculous. It's. It's serious, serious, serious concern. And, you know, to be 2-0 up last week against Newcastle. And did you see the substitutions Steve Bruce made? He brought on two defenders because Newcastle have such an injury-depleted squad at the moment. Mm. And you find two goals out of the centre-back. You are kidding me. I could not, could not believe it. Oh, I, oh my God. Oh. I saw a circulation of memes and it just showed the time. It was 93 minutes in and it's the captions are just like, how can I tell my kids Everton didn't win from here? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, I could not believe like the fashion that they capitulated. It was just amazing to watch. I, I think, I've got a question. You look at Southampton, Palace, Sheffield. They're the three teams that are either equal one point or three points in front of Everton. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, obviously their league position because of how tight it is, is a little bit like, you know, two to three positions above. But for the most part, they're pretty similar in how many games they've won, lost, and drawn. Okay? Mm-hmm. We would consider Southampton, Palace, and Sheffield right now to be having successful seasons. Maybe not Palace, but I'd say definitely, definitely Sheffield and Southampton. Why are we so harsh on Everton then, b- sitting where they sit? Because they're the team outside the top six. If there was a top seven, they'd be that team. You think? Yes. You know, oh, no, should, I wouldn't be West Ham. Le- Leicester? <laughs> or are you saying... Okay, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking name, stature alone. Okay. Everton are that seventh team. All right. Okay? And to see where they went, they, what did they make? Fifth in, in 2013 or something? They got to that height? Yeah, their first ish. year after Moyes, they finished fifth or sixth. Exactly. You know what I mean? So they, if once you get there, you can only... They, 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 the drop once you get there, the drop has been radical. Yeah. 
And they circle, they circle managers, they circled players. I wouldn't they've say spent the money, but the thing is, they haven't spent the money wisely. Yeah. And we could say about so many teams again, Captain Hindsight. But the thing is, if you're not spending the money wisely, and that's the reason why you're falling, then fans will be so bitter. And we see it with every team in the league, Newcastle, they spend the money, but it wasn't to avail, and yet Newcastle, one of the most bitter fans in the league. You know, so that's that's the thing. It, it's it's just uh... it's it's a real issue for them, and I think they need to address it sooner rather than later. I think Ancelotti might want to bring a sense of calmness around Goodison Park and then start again next season. Because as I said months ago, the start of the season killed Everton. Yeah, and I guess a last point I want to hit on as well because we talked about how good how good some of the keepers are in this league. Jordan Pickford now has been England's number one pretty much since Joe Hart fell under his great demise under Pep. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was very, very highly criticised, very highly publicised as well. Is Pickford's spot now in trouble for England number one? I think Pick- Pickford's in real trouble for his England spot. He'll go to the Euros, but so will Dean Henderson. And, you know, we already touched on Dean Henderson a little bit today, so I won't go into him as much. But I think Pickford now really, that second goal that, that, that Everton conceded summed him up as a keeper. It was actually his positioning in terms of uh, where he was standing between the posts was actually quite good. Hit the, it hit the inside of the post the first time. Luckily, it came out. And to be honest, he stayed in the play. It would have been easy for him to almost stand there like a stunned mullet. Do you know what I mean? Like some keepers yeah, would do yeah, that yeah. in that situation. But he made a good save. The only problem was he was standing behind the line. And so it went, went over. And I think it just sums up Jordan Pickford as a keeper. It's a good save. But he was behind the line and it's a reflection of his style of he's never relaxed. He's always like a cat on a hot tin roof. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think, but I think, I think Pickford's place is probably not as safe as what people make it out to be. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it should be as safe because look at the likes of Tom Heaton. He, he has played well. His ben ACL Fod- probably stuffs him up. Ben Foster, him. even Ramsdale for Bournemouth yes. has been doing amazingly. Nick Pope, Nick obviously. Pope, exactly. He's had a big few weeks, so, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah, so that's the thing. I, I think, personally, I think if anyone was going to replace him, it would be Nick Pope. Okay. I think, I think it would be. And I don't know. I don't think Pickford... He's probably pretty rash, for, and he doesn't get enough. There's not enough chat about how uneasy he goes into games. Yeah, because he's very like he's enigmatic. Obviously, he's a bit on the wild side in terms of personality, and he just screams at his defenders every single time they concede. Yeah, and I just think there are potentially better keepers in the league, English wise, than than, than Pickford. Right and now. I think Pope is the number one selection. Yep, fair enough. I think Pope Henderson and. Pickford will go to the Euros. That's just my prediction anyway. Okay, yep. I think Henderson should be number one. Yeah, well, didn't you just say Pope should be number one? No, I said Pope would should be replace Pickford. Oh, okay. Yep. And then Henderson number one. Okay, yep. yeah, fair yep. enough. Anyway, well, speaking of Pope, Woody, I think you might have a little bit to touch on. Uh, well, not not at him, but he might. this next segment might involve him slightly. You might cop a mention. And that was, well, this is something that had to be returned with Woody's return. And that is Woody's whip. So the subject of the whip today is has to be the one and only team, Manchester United. Sammy says it every bloody week. It would not be this podcast if we didn't talk about United. And we're not talking about United this week. We're bloody going to spray them because the way, the way the club is sitting at the moment is worse than what Newcastle was sitting at the start of the season. Yep. And I, that's completely fair. And I, it's completely just. If you look through any socials, any socials, right, 
the club internally is in such a disarray and as such it's flowing on down to not only not only the players but the supporters as well now in the game against burnley and tranmere they were both the, the supporters of united were 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 calling through their chance for the death of the glazers now doesn't matter what what code it is if you're calling for the death of someone at your club Ed Woodward and the Glazers. Now, it just shows the absolute rabble that United is as supporter base at the moment. Now, if we look at the club itself, clearly it's toxic from the top. Now, the Glazers aren't going to sell United. Woodward's not going to leave. If they're posting profits, none of it, nothing is going to move. They don't care. These guys are businessmen, not football fans. And it's always been the case. Always been the case. If you look at their purchases, right... They make spend all this money, but then they make it back in, in shirt revenue. So they're not losing money any which way. You know what I mean? They post $300 million profits, right? Their stock goes down. It doesn't matter because they're still making money. If it's a business, then why would, why would fans expect you know these owners to invest any emotion into these teams? That's the thing. And that's, that's where United are at as a club. Now, I think the biggest investment they can make is getting a, is buying a bus and bussing some of these people out of the club. Seriously, rather than making a Bruno Fernandes transfer. Buy a bus and get rid of some people. Now, if you look at the players that, that shouldn't be in winning XI right now, if you look at a team, this United squad, and think, who the hell is going to be in a next title winning squad? Damo, who is going to be in it? Uh, De Gea? Maybe. Who knows? Maguire. Maguire. De Gea. Juan Bissaka. Yep. Rashford. Uh, yeah, Rashford. Uh, Martial, Look, if you can get some consistency. Consistency, mate, the bloke is... If you watch a United game, you will not see anyone more lazy than Anthony Martial. Really? On a pitch. How can you not say that? The dude doesn't run. He throws up his arms at every pass. He gets caught offside three, four times a game. Right? He's the dead set laziest person on the pitch. I'd also chuck Fred in there, potentially. As as a, a title winning as player. A, no. As much as I've praised Fred this season, he is not he is not the sort of player that is gonna win a title. It's not it's not happening. Right? He was good. He was good and he is good. I He's think he'll not win great. player of the season now that Rashford will miss the rest. Okay, fine. But that's saying something. He's not yeah. been a good midfielder so far this season. Now, United are corrupt. They are corrupt. And nothing is going to change. And that's why they deserve a whip. Because nothing is going to change. They are a business and it's going to stay like that. And I don't know if we're going to see United come anywhere in the next 10 years. Because if as long as they're making money, it's not changing. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I could have gone on for so much longer, honestly. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, the, you make a really good point, Woody, about how from the top, it's very toxic, but it, the fans and, and sometimes even the players are just as toxic in the way they go about it. So something has to change. It has to be a ripple effect, just like it's a ripple effect with the toxicity. So, mm. you know, we we might be sitting here next season saying the exact same things. We might, we might not be. Who knows? But, you know, it's probably one of the most publicized things going around at the moment, especially in the UK and... I think a 6-0 win over Tranmere doesn't really prove anything. Uh, but it's really important now whether they make a decision on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And that decision has to be 
thought out very, very, very carefully because it's if- a, it, mate, it's a, honestly it's a merry-go-round at the moment. Mm-hmm. It is. It's true because look at Ollie is probably the worst quality manager they've had out of all the replacements that have been through. Okay, but, he did less than Moyes. Yeah, he did less than Moyes. Can I just bring up one point, yeah. Woody? I, I look at you know win loss, win loss. I understand that's it's a win loss industry, but at the same time, what has Solskjaer not achieved that the other managers have? Not much. Okay, an FA Cup, a Europa League. So on face value, you'd probably have to say that in terms of success you can't necessarily sit here and say any of them have been successful so then i come and say okay then what has Solskjaer done differently he's got a got a got a rid of guys like ashley young lukaku sanchez who you're short term you might get you some wins but long term it's better for the long run so would you even if Solskjaer goes do you think that Let's say the next manager is successful, might win a league, might, might I don't know, do well in the Champions League, whatever it might be in the next few years. Do you think Solskjaer has, has a claim to any sort of success United have in the coming years if he does go? Well, for me, if you look at the players that have gone in the likes of Ashley Young, the bloke's 34. How many more years do you actually expect him to compete at an elite level? Or in all honesty, really. Yeah. And I'm not saying he was at an elite level, but how many more years would you actually expect a 34-year-old to play who's not a club legend, who's not holding the team? If you look at Rooney, look how old he was when he left, right? He held the club together when he was at United. Yeah. So if he stayed to 34, then why would Ashley Young stay anymore? Re- Seriously. That's the thing. It's an absolute merry-go-round of players and coaches at the moment. A lot needs to change at their club. But, Woody, I mean, uh, we could seriously talk about this for the rest of the day, which we might off <laughs> off mic. But for now, I think we probably need to wrap this one up and hopefully Sammy can join us next week so yes. that we have the three of us together. The three musketeers. The first time in a while, which I'd really like to because I think we do need to recap our predictions a little bit like that we had at the start of the year a transfer roundup because next time you hear from us the January transfer window will be shut so we'll be recapping that from you know pretty much every perspective or as detailed as we can and um, but we will be posting some of the transfers on our Instagram Woody and where can you find the Insta you can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub and you can find us on the Twitter at PL Nightclub is it TikTok coming? no I was you just doing. Uh, no, I was just saying that to like make Sam happy. It's not coming. It's <laughs> yeah. not coming. We can't do it. But there may be some other things in the works, and also a few more guests coming. I know you know we sort of say that every week now, but it's true, isn't it, Woody? Hey, we've we, got we've got some guests lined up. We've got a star-studded list of guests coming up, and a couple you probably wouldn't expect to be on the show. So very exciting. They've heard the music from outside. They want to get inside the nightclub. Exactly. I'm telling you, like exactly. we got a line outside. We'll let. <laughs> We're only letting a few people in at a time. But, yeah, we're very excited about that. So I'm happy to wrap this one up. Woody, stick a bow on it. And, yeah, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for having Boogie in the Nightclub. See ya. See ya.